You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Good morning. You guys hear me okay? Sweet. Very good. Uh, man, thanks for uh, letting me be here today. My name is Scott. Uh, like Matt said, one of the pastors, he, yeah, Michael and Kim are away. I'll be praying for them this week uh, as they get some, uh, hopefully some R&R and refreshment and encouragement uh, as they're with other Acts 29 brothers and sisters out in Colorado for a few days. Um, would you just join me in prayer before we hop in this morning? Uh, God, we thank you for, um, for being such a good dad. Um, we, we know that there are people in this room this morning who are excited and happy, have been looking forward to celebrating Father's Day all year, maybe for the first time or maybe for the, the 30th time. Um, and it's a great day. We also know that some people here this morning are mourning and grieving, are angry, um, maybe with their dads, maybe with other people, maybe with you. We just acknowledge that this morning. Um, help us to be seen and known and heard. God, and I pray that this morning through your word um, and by the power of your spirit, through the grace of the gospel, um, God, that all of us would be able to go up out of here today and, and look at our rewards, uh, look at our treasures, and hold them more loosely and cling to you more tightly. Help us to do that. Um, we need your help this morning. I need your help this morning. Uh, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, so, uh, man, if you Google... The happiest place on earth. Uh, I don't know what you think the first thing that pops up on the internet is, uh, but it's probably not what you think it is. It's Finland. Finland is the first thing that pops up when you Google happiest place on earth. This is a little blurb from the internet. All right, Finland has been named the happiest place in the world for a fourth year running in an annual UN-sponsored report. The World Happiness Report, yes, that's a thing, uh, saw Denmark in second place, then Switzerland, then Iceland, and then the Netherlands, all right? So I don't know how they rank this in all the ways. Uh, they, they say that they ask people literally just how happy they are. I don't know if that's a scale of one to ten. I'm not sure how they go about doing that. They look at, like, uh, social support, personal freedom, GDP, uh, all that kind of stuff. Levels of corruption are factored in in some way, which I don't exactly understand how you measure that. I feel like if you're good at corruption, like, you wouldn't know that corruption's there. So, like, I'm... I don't know how exactly they calculate this, but needless to say, Finland is the first thing that pops up when you Google happiest place on earth. So, man, if you're looking to vacation somewhere happy, uh, there you go. If you're looking to move somewhere that might be a little happier than where you are currently, uh, look at Finland, right? You have your option now. Um, you know where to go. All you have to do is just get there, right? Uh, the second thing that pops up uh, on the internet is this little blurb. Uh, no matter where we come from, what we do for a living, how old we are, or how life will be when we return home from the parks, Disneyland, Disney World, and every other Disney destination tells us that for now, everything can be happy, magical, and wonderful. And that's what makes Disney the happiest place on earth. This is not a sermon sponsored by Disney. I just want to be clear. Uh, but what a wild claim. Like, what a wild claim to make that, that your world could be burning to the ground, right? But all you have to do is set foot inside the Magic Kingdom and, like, this wonderful delusion kind of sets in, right? That the theme park rides and the characters and the, the autographs that you get, the customer service, the parades, the fireworks, all that stuff, all these things can create a place 
for you that will push every problem, uh, make, make you forget that the world is on fire. Just make everything fine. All you have to do is get there. It's been a couple weeks uh, since we've been here in this space. We had our, our picnic last week. Um, but, but the last time that we read about kind of where God's people are in Exodus, they had some, some serious trouble going on. Their world was burning down around them uh, because of them. Uh, this is their own fault. So here's kind of what happened. that They had lost faith in Moses, who was their, their leader, who had gone to this mountain, Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, as you might know it, with some of the other elders, where God wanted to meet with Moses uh, and give him the law. Uh, commandments, instructions for how to live as God's people so God could live with them and uh, God could be their God and he could be uh, their people, they could be their people, all that stuff. Um, but, uh, so as Moses goes through to, to the foot of the mountain with the elders, uh, with a group, and then a little bit further with Joshua, who was his assistant, um, he himself goes and steps into this like giant cloud. All right, this is how Exodus 24 describes it. It says, The appearance of the glory of Yahweh was like a devouring fire. On the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. All right, that's what Exodus 24, that's how it describes Moses' departure from his people. And before those 40 days and before those 40 nights were over, the people who were waiting at the foot of the mountain, uh, the Israelites who were at like, like, kind of like base camp at the bottom, assumed that Moses was a goner. Uh, they didn't know what he was doing. They didn't know when he was coming back, if he was coming back um, out of that giant cloud of fire. And so they asked Aaron, who was Moses' brother, kind of the the second in command, the guy in charge while Moses was uh, away, to make them a replacement, to to make an image of God fashioned by human hands to replace an actual image of God, Moses, um, to to serve as their representative and their go-between between them and the Lord, to be present with them while Moses was away. And so Aaron did. He melted down their jewelry. And, and so they fashioned this uh, golden calf to replace Moses, thinking that they could keep worshiping God uh, while they had just rejected the guy that God sent to them, right? To lead them, to represent them, to guide them. But, but they were very happy. They were really happy. They partied, they ate, they drank, they celebrated all down uh, at the camp. And, and all crazy enough, they, they did so, they thought, in the name of Yahweh, in the name of God but not in the ways of God, not in the name or in the ways of, of Yahweh. They were, they were willing to change their worship. They were willing to change their gods, their representative, in order to change their circumstances, even just a little bit, right? We're not talking about Disney world levels of happiness here, right, in the camp, but, but they did their best to turn this little camp in the middle of a desert while their leader had seemingly vanished into a cloud of fire, into a, at least a little bit of a happier place for them than it had been. But, but that didn't last very long. God sees this. God tells Moses what's going on down there. So Moses storms down. He throws the stone tablets on the ground, the, the tablets that had God's law written on them. He smashes them uh, into pieces. And God just wants to, to wipe them all out and start over again with Moses and his family, to rebuild his people from Moses lineage but Moses intercedes he steps in and so God doesn't destroy all of them but Moses has 3,000 people killed that day and God sends a plague on on those who were left as a consequence of their sin of their rebellion and their idolatry and all of this is happening while God is 
simply trying to get his people out of slavery in Egypt, right, away from their captors, and to a land that's, that he's promised hundreds of years ago to that people, to, to Abraham, a land that's flowing with milk and honey, uh, that has all that they could ever want or ever need there. No more slavery, no more wandering around in the desert, no more eating this weird manna stuff that shows up every morning, right, on the ground outside their tents. God even promised to get rid of the people who live there who are currently occupying that country. He promised to fight and win the battles for them. They would have a home that was theirs, that literally might have been the happiest place on earth at that time. And all they had to do was get there. But now they didn't know if they could actually do that. They didn't know if they could get there because they rejected the very God who had promised them this place and safe passage there. Is it still ours? Do we still have a a claim on it? Will he provide for us? Will he protect us? And they're asking these questions all while, remember, there's 3,000 of their their dads, uh, their sons, their brothers, uh, who have just been slaughtered. Happy Father's Day. Um, And a divine plague was sweeping through everyone else that was left there in the camp. And so looking around, they might think, probably not. This probably isn't going to happen. And so this is where we pick up in today's focal passage, Exodus 33. Uh, We're going to look at the first three verses here this morning. This is what God says. The Lord said to Moses, just to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land to which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, to your offspring, I will give it. I'll send an angel before you. I'll drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. Those are all the people currently living there in the land. Uh, Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. So the promise is safe, right? The promise is safe. All they have to do is is get there, and they will. God's promising them this. The only only thing that's different now is that God says that he can't go up among them. He cannot be in their midst, dwelling in the middle of their camp because of their sinful stubbornness. If he did, his his holiness would consume their unholiness in just a moment. And so this isn't bad, right? This This should be a relief to these people. Despite their unfaithfulness, God is still faithful to his people. And man, isn't that the gospel? Isn't that we preach what we preach every single week here at the village, that God is faithful to us even when we're not? That by grace alone, we receive what we don't deserve. That, that he's committed to us not because of who we are or because of what we do, but sometimes in spite of who we are and in spite of what we do. We need to get there. God promises that we will, and he will get his people here in this story there as well. So, so we would expect them to rejoice, right? To be really happy because the promise is safe and the promise is secure. So let's see how they react. This is verses four through six. When the people heard this disastrous word, uh-oh, they mourned and no one put on his ornaments. It's not quite what we would expect, right? For, for the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. 
despite God's promises. This news is disastrous. They mourn. They take off their, their ornaments, their jewelry, at least those who hadn't already taken them off and, and had them thrown into the fire to be forged into a golden calf. They, they took off all the fancy stuff that they took with them from Egypt as plunder, and they kept it off for the rest of their journey, and they did so in repentance and mourning and grief. So what's going on here? What would, what would so definitively kind of overshadow this promise? Why would this news, just that God being a little bit further away, why would that seemingly overshadow this promise that, that they were going to get there? Uh, as a kid, I got to go to Disney World twice. Um, and both times it was because we, we won trips through a radio station. For real. Uh, I think it was WGRR, Oldies 103.5, also Disney World twice, and, and to New Jersey, just like Disney World, uh, another time, right? So we, we won three trips from the radio station. I know Pandora, Spotify is great. When's the last time they wanted to send you on a vacation, right? Probably never. Radio, man, long live radio. Um, but I remember being in the car with my mom, who's in the seat right now. Um, as a kid, when we won one of those trips, they called my mom's name. Uh, over the, the, the radio, over the air, and I just remember my mom like freaking out uh, in the best way possible while, while she's in the car driving her child, um, but, but freaking out, excited, and the whole thing was that you had, to, you had only had so many minutes to get home, like to call in the radio station to let them know that you heard the name and to kind of like claim your prize or whatever, and so uh, this was the time before cell phones, okay? Cell phones did not yet exist, and so we didn't have a phone, we weren't home, um, and every red light that we sat at, it felt like it was lasting a year because the clock was ticking. We, we wanted to go to Disney World, right? So it was wild. Like, I, I just remember that moment, uh, that scream, happy scream from my mom and, like, just ugh, the, the anxiety of trying to get home uh, in time. It's burned into my memory, All right? But, but that radio announcement, that news probably would have hit me a little bit differently if instead of our whole family getting to go to Disney World, I knew it meant that I was being sent off to Disney by myself, right? As a five-year-old, without my mom, without my dad. Like, I, I know that when I Googled, like, happiest place on earth and the blurb came up about Disney, it said, uh, no matter how old you are, Disneyland, Disney World, and every other Disney destination tells us that for now, everything can be happy, magical, and wonderful. But, but news of getting to go to the Magic Kingdom, which is like, every kid's dream, right, would have honestly been a nightmare if it meant being separated from my parents, the ones who know me and love me and protect me and provide for me. Even the happiest place on earth wouldn't have been happy at all without them there. The right, the right place without the right people just isn't right. And on a much grander scale, that's what's happening here in Exodus. They've been guaranteed and, and all expenses paid trip, right, to paradise. But all the milk and honey, all the military security, all the land uh, in the world is nothing if their heavenly father can't be present with them there all along the way. All we have to do is get there. Now it doesn't sound like enough. It doesn't sound so good, does it? Instead, it's now all we need is God himself. Not after they've arrived, right? Not hoping that they'll stumble upon him uh, along the way. Not as a bonus or a cherry on top. Maybe they'll get him when they get there. But before they even take their first step on the journey, standing right where they are, they need to know that God is with them. Because thus far, 
their salvation, their deliverance from captivity, from their enemies, from the sea, from the hunger of just living in a desert. Their, their provision and their protection hasn't come from where they are or their ability to get somewhere else. If that was true, then their story would have ended in Egypt. But their salvation came from the one who saw them, who heard them, and has been with them all along. It's not found in a particular place. It's found in a particular person. Persons, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, God, all day. But the question is, like, do we really believe that? Do we believe that to be true? Are we driven by the belief that some hope we have for this life is found in, in reaching a particular destination, either literally or figuratively? All you have to do is get there, wherever there is, and that'll finally satisfy you, that'll finally solve all of your problems in this life. Are you in despair? Are you distressing in your life right now? Because you believe where you are now is keeping you from an abundant life. Or your inability to change your circumstances or, or fix the things that you see around you is, is holding your joy and your peace hostage. Like, for real, I know that we're in church. I know that we just say the right answer in our heads when we hear questions like that. It gets easy just for you to hear stuff and like, yeah. But, but for real, would you visibly grieve if you were handed a one-way ticket to the promised land, to, to paradise, to whatever your destination might be, whatever that thing might be, wherever you need to get to, but you were told that the Lord couldn't be there with you, would you refuse to go? What we're seeing this morning in Israel's response is a bit of a wake-up call for us. God wants us to, he wants to pry our hearts, he wants to pry our minds and our imaginations our hopes away from a salvation that comes from getting ourselves somewhere else. Out, out of here and to there, wherever that might be. To a salvation that, that may, man, clings to him. Not to his stuff. Not to happier circumstances, but to him. The source of all that's good and the one in whom real salvation is found. That's what he wants to do in us this morning. And so our main idea this morning is simple. The presence of God is our greatest good. To enjoy access to his counsel, the assurance of his favor, and acceptance of his ways. And so that's what we're going to see as we walk through our passage this morning. I'm going to start with point one by looking at, at how we get to enjoy access to his counsel. We're going to look at the next few verses. Exodus 33, 7 through 11. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. All right, so we're getting a little sidebar here to do on a regular basis. So uh, Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up. And each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. And the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from 
the tent. All right, so a few weeks ago, uh, we talked about how God gave his people these like lavish instructions to build a, a tabernacle, which is kind of like a portable temple uh, for him where God could dwell and where he can meet with his people uh, on a regular basis. But until that was built, and while God was unable to meet with them inside of their camp, Moses had his own kind of makeshift tent uh, that he would set up, meet with the Lord, where others could come and seek his counsel. And he would set it up, like, not just right outside the camp, but he would set it up uh, far away, close enough to where they could still see it. It could still be seen from the camp, but it wasn't like it was, like, right next door. Um, and so you had to walk a ways out into the wilderness and in the sight of the whole camp, right, who watched what was happening whenever Moses went out there in sight of, of everyone, right? And so I, I think about us here, like, the village church. I think about us on Sunday mornings here at the 210. We... We kind of weigh sometimes whether or not we're going to walk like an extra seven seconds back to the back of the room and ask someone to pray for us during response. We weigh whether or not we're going to do that because what if someone sees me? What, what if someone thinks that something is wrong with me? Or like we see someone else go back there and, and we're like, oh, I know what's going on in their life. What, what they have going on back there, that is like way more heavy, way more important than what I have. Who am I to go back there and ask for prayer in some way? So I'm just going to keep it to myself. Or we weigh whether or not we're going to seek out what God has to say about something by maybe how hard it seems to study our Bibles. Uh, and sometimes it's really hard, right? Or we weigh it by whether or not we think we're going to like what we hear. Oh, so much work. There's lots of words. I don't understand some of these things. And, and if it really says this, then that means I have to change my mind and, and maybe admit to people and even to myself that maybe I was wrong about something and, and I might actually have to live differently because of that. And you know, like, it's just way easier to scroll through TikTok and YouTube and let someone else tell me what the Bible says instead. When Moses went to the tent, to talk with the Lord, people stood up and they watched and they worshiped at their front doors. This was a glorious thing. Every time someone went out to seek the Lord for prayer or for counsel, it was a, a Mount Sinai moment, not just for them, but for the entire community, right? Clouds and glory and the presence of God just showing up just like right over there, right? You could see it from your front door. Moses talked with God like a friend face to face. And you might think, well, heck, I mean, I'd, I'd seek out the Lord more if, if clouds showed up, right? And that was my experience whenever I read the Bible or uh, wanted to pray with someone or whatever. But, man, two things. One, it's the people that literally saw the thunder and the lightning and the fire and the clouds and the mountain shaking who decided to worship a golden calf that they had just forged from their earrings, all right? All right, so, look, chasing after spectacle is exactly and only that. It has nothing to do with wanting to seek the Lord. And the other thing is this, that what we have today is far better than what Moses had. Every time you, you pass by the folks who stand back there and offer to pray, you're, you're passing by tents of meeting. Not because that little specific time back there or, or that specific place uh, is holy, but because the people who stand back there, weak after week are. Christ's death that he died to take away our sin 
in Christ's perfect life that now counts for our own. Christ makes them, and, and by grace through faith today in Christ, all of us holy so that God can come near, and he has come near. God's people are human tents of meeting, where the, the Spirit of God has taken up residence in you to meet with you, to hear you, to carry your prayers to the Father in Jesus' name. All the time, every place that you go, whether you're by yourself, whether you're at community group, at home, here, back there, whatever, all of the time. And every time we, we ignore one of the, the 13 Bibles that we have in our home, we're ignoring the words of the Lord who still speaks, the God who, who made his people leave their home, walk out of the camp, go through the wilderness to find some other tent just to hear from him indirectly through Moses. Because if he was even among his people for one moment, he would consume them. And yet his voice, his words, his wisdom, his truth now sit on your bookshelf or under a pile of stuff somewhere neglected because they're hard or their words are weird or you don't think that they matter much at all today because blogs and podcasts and Instagram it's a lot easier but the Lord can't make it any easier he, he can't come any closer to you right there, there is no all I have to do is get there you don't have to get anywhere in order for him to listen to you or for you to learn more from him. That mentality of just getting yourself there is blown up by, by God himself who came to us in our very own flesh and blood in Jesus and now resides in your very own flesh and blood by the Spirit. God is ready to meet with you. He, he wants to meet with you. Not when you get somewhere. Your life, your heart, your mind. Your, not when you get somewhere, but right here, right now. And he's thrown in a whole church to help you with that. And, and so that changes some of the questions that we ask to simply this. Like, do we want him? Do we want him? Is being corrected by God something to worry about or something to worship over? Is, is being seen seeking out his counsel because something might be wrong by other people, is that something to worry about that someone might see you ask for prayer or is it something to worship over that you get to do that? Are we living as if his presence is our greatest good and our access to him is our highest source of counsel or are we living as just stiff-necked people who want to figure it out all by ourselves? There's an invitation open for us this morning. So we have access to his counsel through his presence. The next thing we want to talk about is, is this, that when God's presence is our greatest good, we get to enjoy the assurance of his favor. This is point two. Let's read Exodus 33, uh, 12 through 16 real quick. Um, this is a conversation that's happening between Moses and the Lord, probably in this tent of meeting. That's why he kind of set up this stuff in the sidebar here. So we would kind of know what's, what's going on, where this conversation is taking place, all right? So Moses is speaking to the Lord. Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, uh, bring up this people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me, right, which might sound kind of weird. At the beginning of the chapter, God says that he's going to send an angel with them as they go, but he doesn't specify which one. Uh, along the way, he said that my angel or the, the angel of the Lord 
who is, who's gone with them, that's who's going to go with them there. And they know that meant like it's God's kind of particular presence with them. Uh, but Moses isn't satisfied with just some now like generic Joe Schmo angel that he doesn't know from anyone. He, he wants the Lord's presence himself to go. He doesn't know this guy. How am I supposed to follow or trust this random messenger that you're going to send me? I don't know whom you're sending to lead us. Right? So, yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And God said, uh, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Meaning rest in the land. that They're not going to get there and have to fight all their, their fights and their battles. You get to go into the land and rest. And put your swords down. I'll take care of it for you. And Moses said to him, I love this, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For, for how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people distinct, I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. When I was a kid, uh, my friends and I liked going to the arcades at the mall. Uh, and, and there was a particular game that we liked to play, the X-Men arcade game. Uh, some of you know what I'm talking about. Uh, Nightcrawler was my jam. We all love to play that all the time. Uh, and one time, my parents uh, took a buddy and me to an arcade. Um, you guys know where this is going. Uh, and, and we were pumped to play this game. And when we got there, uh, my friend like, stood outside the entrance of the arcade and literally refused to go in. Arms crossed, furrowed brow, like, I'm not going in there, like stomping his foot and stuff like that. He was convinced that this was not the right arcade because it did not have the X-Men game. All right? It, it was the weirdest, wildest standoff that I've ever seen in my life. Uh, just really, because who does that when you're with a friend's family? That's just really awkward. But secondly, they had the game in there. All right? I was like, I looked at him, I was like, I'm going inside. <laughs> so I went inside the arcade, and sure enough, it's there. And so I was like it, like, it is right there. And that's all it took for him to immediately change his demeanor. And then he just walked right inside as if nothing had happened. It was the weirdest thing in the world. On the flip side, right, there's Moses who is also refusing to budge, right? But not because God's trying to take him to the wrong place, but because he hates the fact that God's not going to the right place with him. This chapter starts in verse 1 with God telling Moses to depart, to, to bring up this people. It's a command. And Moses is just like, no. He just tells him no. He, he doesn't want to go anywhere without the Lord, even to the happiest place on earth, even to the promised land. He doesn't want to go there without the Lord. Why? Because more than anything else, Moses treasures the favor of God. And he knows not to look for it in the stuff that God can give him, but in the presence of God with him. This is why Moses was like, hey, God, I, I know that you've said that I found favor in your sight, but if, if I found favor in your sight, are anyone else supposed to know that I have favor in your sight if you're not with me? Right? God's favor is found most profoundly in his presence. So for God to say that, that Moses has his favor, but, but then can't have him, it didn't make any sense to Moses. It, it's not in the milk and honey. It's not in the military security. It's not in the land that Moses is looking to, to see if God is for him. And we can learn people living on that land. There are already people drinking up that milk, tasting that honey, enjoying their military security. Uh, there are already people enjoying all those things. Those folks didn't need God, didn't need Yahweh, the Lord, for any of that stuff. They got there themselves. For how shall it be known 
that I have found favor in your sight? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct from every people on the face of the earth? What sets his people apart is not in them getting there. It's in God's going with them there, wherever they are, be it in Egypt or in the wilderness or in paradise or later in exile and then back again and that whole thing. The world can have its milk and honey. We'll take the Lord. That's Moses' posture here. He refuses to budge. He's not taking that deal. But would you? Would you take that deal? Would you still go? Again, I know that you think that you wouldn't, and you're in church, and so you're like, of course I wouldn't take that deal. But let's, let's test this a little bit. Imagine the new heavens and the new earth. How would you know that you're there? If you saw all your favorite people, you got to feast, had no sickness, no sin, got to play. And you're imagining, would you, would you even notice if God wasn't home when you think about that? Would it even make a difference if, if in his full presence he was not there anywhere? In fact, would you, would you trade away, would you trade away a sinless, pain-free eternity? Would you keep your current hardships? Would you put away your ornaments, whatever those things might be, the things that dress up this world for you? In some way, would you put those things away for good if it meant getting God in exchange here and in the future? Would you do that? Does that seem like a win to you? That all depends on where you're looking to try to find God's favor. How often do we measure God's favor in our life by how happy we are with our circumstances? How easily do we assume that what, what God wants for us in any given moment is for us to be happy? How often is the counsel we offer others rooted in the hope that God can change their circumstances? How often do we pray for God to change everything and everyone else around us so that we can just simply get along with life, enjoying it as we really like to? And how often do we just ask him for more of him. We easily confuse his favor with our station in a fallen world. And so we might end up in a land flowing with milk and honey, right? You can get there. We can get ourselves there. Some of us can. And we might be very much alone. Fathers, let me talk to you for a minute because it's Father's Day. Uh, and because I, I think that there are some dads in here that like, man, maybe need to hear this. I know I do. Look, the most important things that you can give to your kids, it's not the stuff that comes from your pay paycheck. It's your presence. And if you're a single dad, if you're a single parent in general, trying to make ends meet or whatever, this is not for you. In fact, kudos to you guys for doing that. I, I pray the Lord lets your kids see your faithfulness and a picture of a God who is willing to lay down. This is not for you this morning. But dads, if you voluntarily placed yourself or your family in a station of life that, that demands your constant absence, your constant distraction, your mental and emotional and spiritual exhaustion that leaves then I know that you think you're providing for them, but you might actually be stealing from them. I promise you that if your kids had to pick between a, a big Christmas or a college fund or a nice house or you, they would pick you every time you aren't worth 
only what you're able to provide with your hands. You're worth more than that, and you are what you get to give your kids. And in doing so, you get to mold little hearts to be like Moses, who will refuse to confuse worldly blessings with the favor of God, but who hold tightly to the favor that is theirs, even when their world might one day be burning down around them. You can give them a lot of stuff, a lot of things that they can one day let go of. You can teach them, show them how to chase after jobs and the approval of people that can one day let go of them. Give them something different. Give them something distinct. Show them something that will remind them of the one who will never let them go. And dads, he will never let you go either. When the Lord says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. When he affirms this promise, we can believe him. We can believe him. We can take him at his word, even when it might be really hard to believe that he really is with us in this stuff. Not because we can look around at our life and see that sin and suffering aren't things anymore. Not because our dreams are within reach and life is easy and every evil has been dealt with. But because we can look to the cross and to the empty tomb and see how Christ, he, God has proved just how far and just how long he is willing to go with us in this life and beyond. All the way through life all the way to death, and past that. And so if it's in his going with us that we find his favor, then brothers and sisters, we've got it. We have his favor. There's no more favor to earn that we don't already have in Christ. And there's nowhere we've got to get to in order to start living like that's true today. We don't have to wait until we get there. We get to ask God to show us his ways, but not like Moses Moses is asking because he has this like anxious uncertainty about whether or not God is actually for him or not. We get to ask God to show us his ways precisely because he's already with us every step of the way to help us grow up into maturity in Christ. Just like a good dad. He's there, he's present, and he's ready, and he's, he's able to help. Are we living as if the presence of God is our greatest good? Are we able to enjoy this assurance of his favor? Not because of what's around us, but because of who is with us. Let's look at our last point this morning, which is this, that when the presence of God is our greatest good, we get to enjoy the acceptance of his ways. I'm gonna read Exodus 33, 17 through 23. <clears throat> and the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken sight, and I know you by name. So, so God's making it clear now that he has changed his mind. All right, he will go with them now. All right, he's changed his mind. Moses' stubbornness in prayer and seeking his counsel has actually allowed the Lord to say, you know what, yeah, I'm going to go with you now, uh, with, with you throughout this stuff. And so Moses says this in response, please show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I'll put you in a cleft of the rock, and I'll cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I'll take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Now, if I went back to Kayville right now, and I asked the kids back there if they would like to go to Disney World, 
I'm pretty sure all of them would say yes, right? If I asked you guys if you wanted to go to Disney World, well, not all of you, but some of you would absolutely say yes, that you would want to go there, right? Uh, maybe not Finland, but Disney World, maybe. Uh, man, if I asked you guys, maybe not Disney World, maybe not Finland, but, but if you wanted to be in a world, wanted to live in a world, go somewhere without sin and suffering and evil, if you wanted to be in a world that was renewed in all of its glory, I'm pretty sure all of you would say yes. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's, it's a good, heavenly longing. I follow a guy on Twitter named uh, Isaac Adams, and every morning he tweets this. Every morning he tweets this, Christian, we're one day closer to heaven. And on Sundays, he adds this, uh, where congregations never break up and Sabbaths have no end. That's just a sweet, just a comforting reminder of what isn't yet, but what lies in store for us. We get to be excited about that. We get to be animated by that vision. That's part of the good news, right? That God is going to get us there, that, that we were made to be at home with God, right place, right people, together. Like, that's right. And we're not wrong for wanting that. And yet while we wait, he asks us to be content with his presence. And I love Moses' response when God says, uh, yes, my presence will be with you. He's just like, show me your glory. All right, let me see it then. I want all of it right here, right now. But God can't. He can relent on a lot of things. He said yes to Moses' insistence that God go with him. But he, but he says no to this. He can't show Moses his full glory because it would literally kill him. But, but I get Moses' eagerness. In fact, like our response when God says, I'm going to be with you, shouldn't be a shoulder shrug, like, oh, cool. You know, it, like, I, I want to I behold that. I hope that if you get any glimpse of God's goodness at all this morning, that you would walk out if you're wanting more of that. But just know that, that you won't be able to see all there is to see of God on this side of the grave or on this side of Jesus coming back and that's for our own good while we can take off our jewelry he can command us to take off our ornaments the things that dress us up God cannot make himself less glorious he cannot and he will not strip himself of his glory to make himself more palatable to our senses or to make himself less threatening to our sin the God who can talk with you and me and Moses face-to-face -face figuratively, he can't do that literally because no one can see the actual face of God and live. I know that God's presence can feel far from us at times. Some of us in this room feel that this morning. I know that we don't understand why he does what he does or why he doesn't do what he doesn't do. And I also know that he's doing a lot more than we're aware of at any given moment of the day, but his goodness, his grace, his mercy, these things that are true about God don't stop being true just because we can't see everything that's going on. All of his goodness could pass before you, and in his goodness, he would cover your eyes with his hand to keep you from seeing it. Do you get that? Like, are you content with that? Can you trust his ways? even when he doesn't give you the full picture, when his ways might even tell you no. God's going to proclaim his name to Moses, which is Yahweh. That's his name, Yahweh. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. And listen to this. 
And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. He's doing some wordplay here. He's reminding Moses that baked into his very name is the prerogative to be God, to reveal himself as he chooses, to dispense grace and mercy in his own ways at his own will. And why those words coming from any other worldly ruler, leader, person will be suspect, everything leading up to this. And certainly now, in light of the gospel, proves that his ways are also for the good of his people. Both what he lets us see and what he conceals. He can't strip himself of his glory. But in his mercy, he can shield us from it. What he does for Moses by placing him in the crack of a, of a rock and covering his eyes and only letting him see his goodness as it's walking away. It's the same thing he does for us in Jesus, who came in flesh and blood, veiled in human form, who had no form or majesty that we should look on him, and no beauty that we should desire him. This is what Isaiah writes about Jesus. The fullness of God's deity was in him, and yet he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Chad Bird, uh, who's one of the guys, God likes to hide himself beneath his opposite. God likes to hide himself beneath his opposite. He doesn't do things to wow us, he said, but to save us. And so if God himself would show up in such an unremarkable way, or a way that even his own people would despise, and we say that we place our faith and we give our worship to this Jesus, then we, as his people, ought to be very, very slow in letting what we uh, might catch through the slivers between God's fingers as he covers our eyes, or what we can make out of his back, we should be really slow and skeptical of ourselves when we think we've figured out where he is or where he's not or what he's doing or what he's not or why or how we feel about that and whether that's okay with us or not. God wants us to accept his ways by finding our contentment in him. He doesn't want us to, to follow some generic Joe Schmo angel that we don't know. He doesn't want that. He wants us to follow him, which is why he gives us his name and tells us uh, that he's going to live up to it and later sends his son so that through him we might see and recognize the Father who is present with us today by his spirit. God, who is the same today as he was then and as he ever will be. When God's presence is our greatest good, we get to enjoy the acceptance of his ways. Even when we don't get it, even when we don't like it, even when he tells us no. The whole world, and even your own head, and your own heart, and your own imagination will paint a picture for you of what life can and should look like. What God should and shouldn't do, or should or shouldn't let happen. In order for you to be happy, you can chase that. You can chase that. You can believe that all you have to do is get there, and you can walk out of here this morning with that vision intact. But I promise you that it will only lead to disillusionment in the end. I want to close out with a different picture of the happiest place on earth. Not Finland, okay, not Disney World. Not even a place we can get ourselves to. In fact, this place doesn't even exist yet. But we've been promised a room there, and we've been promised a safe passage while we wait for that room to be ready. This is a description of John's vision of this place in Revelation. It's a smattering of Revelation 21 uh, and a bit from 22 as, he, as he's talking and conversing with an angel of the Lord. This is what he, he says. 
Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorning. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And the angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. I'm not asking you to believe me this morning. I'm asking you to believe him and to find the greatest good of your life in the presence of God who is with you here today who longs to be with you, unveiled, unhidden, one day in this eternity. Seek him and find his counsel. Seek him in findings of his ways, all of them. And let him go up with you from this place today, not just as some God, but as your heavenly father. Not just out of these doors, but even up here this morning before you leave to the table. So I want to invite the band. You guys can come up right now. We're going to move into a time of response for us all. Whatever God might be stirring in you by his word through the spirit this morning, there are a few ways that you can do that. You can stay right where you are and just consider what the Lord might be doing in you. Maybe the vision that he's giving you for what life should look like, where it is you feel like you need to get to, and how he might be trying to change that for you and give you something better. So you can stay right there and do that. Uh, my wife and I will be uh, back there uh, along that wall. We're there to pray. If you want to pray, talk about anything, there'll be a couple other people at, back by that red tree who would also love to pray with you and talk with you. Um, there's a prayer bench over here if you need to use that. Um, and, and up here we do have the Lord's table. We have communion up here, which these little cups, juice, and a wafer. And the wafer represents the body of Christ that's been broken for us. And the blood of Christ uh, it was represented by the juice that's been shed for us that we might know that we have peace with God, the assurance of his favor. And so this up here this morning, we don't take lightly. If you're not a, a believer here, if you, you don't know if you follow Jesus, and this isn't for you, but if you're a follower of Jesus, this is for you. After you've sat and thought about where your heart is, don't take this lightly. If you need to reconcile with someone in this room, do that this morning. If you need to repent, do that first, and then come up and celebrate and rejoice in the fact that we all get to be part of God's family this morning. So with that, I'll let you sit with where the Spirit has you, and I'm going to turn it back over to the band as they lead us in this time.